0: We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Wendy Wilson and Rachel Zellers. There have been people of African descent living in Nova Scotia for more than 400 years. The long histories of the province's many deeply rooted black communities are bound up with histories of slavery and with past and present realities of anti-black racism, but also with histories just as long and deep of survival, resistance, and thriving. As was the case in a number of jurisdictions across North America, one element of that history was segregated schools. Black children and youth were not allowed to go to the same schools as white kids, and black schools were much more poorly resourced. Considering this disparity, black communities and black teachers were pretty successful in making sure that their kids got a good education, but it was still a major injustice. The formal end of segregated schooling in the mid-twentieth century was nominally meant to address that injustice, but it's actually a lot more complicated than that. In Nova Scotia, the end of the old separate and unequal system also meant that black students were no longer learning primarily with other black students and from black teachers. Their schools had been black spaces in a hostile, anti-black world where students were nurtured and supported and were seen as whole human beings with potential. Integrated schools in Nova Scotia were not just predominantly non-black, but often profoundly and systemically anti-black, with all of the surveillance, policing, dehumanization and discrimination that entails. As one of today's participants put it, quote, "...our education system is a site of violence for many, many, many black children." End quote. One response to this reality that began in the U.S. in the 1960s, in the context of the Civil Rights Movement phase of the Long Black Freedom Struggle, was what were called Freedom Schools. These were grassroots educational spaces created by black educators and activists where black children and youth could learn about their history, about themselves and their communities, and about leadership and action, and where they could be supported and nurtured. Particularly since the most recent upsurge in the black freedom struggle since 2013 under the banner of Black Lives Matter, freedom schools have once again been appearing in communities across North America. Rachel Zellers is an African-American lawyer, scholar, and community organizer who has lived in Canada for more than a decade and a half, and in Halifax for the last couple of years. Though she's relatively new to the community, as an educator and a mother of teens herself, she realized that a freedom school in Nova Scotia could be a powerful contribution. They didn't know each other, but she'd heard of Wendy Wilson, and she gave her a call. Wilson is an African Nova Scotian teacher, artist, writer, and community advocate whose family has been in the province for at least eight generations. After that initial phone call, Wilson called together a number of other African Nova Scotian educators that she knew, and they got down to planning. Sellers brought a sample lesson plan, and the others adapted it to make it specific to the African Nova Scotian context. They decided on two two two-hour sessions each week during the month of August, of course to be held online in this year of COVID-19. The first week focused on policing issues and the movement to defund the police, the second was about African Nova Scotian history and culture, the third week was about leadership, and the final week was about activism. According to what they saw during the course of it, and what they have heard from the young people themselves and their parents since, the African Nova Scotian Freedom School was a great success. They plan to stay connected with this year's participants, and to host another freedom school next year. And for Wilson in particular, this is one small part of a larger, long-standing vision in the community, being led by an organization called the Afrocentric Learning Institute, to eventually open an Afrocentric school in Nova Scotia. I speak with Wilson and Zellers about the African Nova Scotian Freedom School.
1: My name is Wendy Wilson. I am an African Nova Scotian. I'm an educator as well as an artist, and I do some writing as well, and I consider myself a community advocate. My family is about eight generations deep here in Nova Scotia. I've always been involved in the community That involvement started when I was just a little girl with my father, who did pastoral work in the community and was a community advocate. He taught me that the most important thing is family, and then further reaching beyond that is giving back to the community. One of the tenets of Afrocentricity is to work collaboratively with the community and not necessarily think about what's good for an individual, but think about what's good for the whole. When I really intentionally started working in grassroots organizations was when I left the community school that I worked in, in the inner city of Halifax. I worked in the community school there for 12 years, and the school was comprised mainly of African Nova Scotian students at the time. I realized that being outside of the community, I felt like I needed to ground myself in community work. So I intentionally started doing some writing around culture and what is African Nova Scotian culture. One of the very first things that I did was started to do some of my own informal research on African Nova Scotian food. I wrote a few pieces about that and just really started a conversation. And at that point, seven, eight years ago, we weren't talking about it. We weren't naming what our traditional foods were. We weren't naming what our traditional clothing or music was. Then one of the next things that I did was I did a bit of research and created the African Nova Scotian flag because up until this point, we didn't have one. I'm involved in several boards and organizations. It gets rather busy, but I know that I'm doing it for the good of the community.
2: I'm Rachel Zellers. I'm an assistant professor at St. Mary's University. I am also a lawyer and a community organizer. I'm also a mother to three teenagers, which is absolutely my most important job. I am an African-American who's been in Canada for the last 17 years and chose Nova Scotia very intentionally as my home after living in Quebec for a long time. The history of Black people's lives here and a sense of kinship was the primary driving factor. And so I'm someone who came here with intention and also came here with a desire to learn to serve in ways that this community found useful and really to take a back seat. You know, as someone who's an academic and a researcher and a lawyer, I'm very aware of the ways in which we like to position ourselves as authorities. And so one of the most important things about who I am and about who I am as a grassroots organizer is learning when I need to shut up and listen and be led and how to lead in ways that don't displace or minimize what came well before me and what is rooted in a place much more deeply than I may be. In terms of my grassroots organizing, you know, I can't imagine or think of a time when I didn't serve my grandmother. My mother's father was a Baptist minister And she was a woman of faith and service in the Newark, New Jersey community. My summers were spent with her. And so, you know, my grandmother, without knowing, without expressing it, without me even being consciously aware of it, as I became an adolescent and young woman, directed my pathway to service. I really can't think of a time when I haven't given back, given something organized with other people in some capacity.
1: The African Nova Scotian Freedom School was an opportunity for students in the province of Nova Scotia to take part in a one month Online program that involved students getting to know who they are as African Nova Scotians, the history, also a chance for students to mobilize and think about activism and how they can be active in the community, promoting their culture and fighting for equality. They also had the opportunity to learn about what leadership looks like in the African Nova Scotian community. So the students came on twice a week for the month of August for two hours. There were, I think, seven or eight of us in terms of instructors that led them through the process.
2: Absolutely an environment where our children are seen, heard and listened to, believed, not punished, directed. Directed in the context of learning about who they are, who their people are, and also guided towards service. The questions that we centered throughout the month were questions of who are you, who are your people, and what are your responsibilities? Why do we serve? Why do we give? And then how do you serve? So I think of the African Nova Scotian Freedom School as a program that allows Black children, Black youth to be seen and heard in all that they are. In the fullest version of themselves.
1: For me, primarily, the most important thing was that students of African descent had the opportunity, probably the very first opportunity, to have all Black instructors focusing on a curriculum that was centered around them. And also, as one of the instructors, I had the chance to collaborate with other like-minded people with a similar agenda in planning how the program would look.
0: Tell listeners a bit more about Freedom Schools in general and the history that they come out of.
2: Freedom schools were developed in the wake of the 1954 Brown v. Board of Education decision, which was, of course, the famous decision in the United States that got rid of segregated school systems, but it got rid of segregated school systems only de jure in the context of the law. Segregated schooling in the United States, as a very relevant case example, is even more entrenched now than it was after the Brown v. Board of Education decision. Freedom schools beginning in the early to mid 1960s arose because as schools started to very slowly integrate, the costs of integration became very clear to Black parents, Black educators, and Black principals an enormous percentage of our Black educators and principals disappeared as, you know, white principals and a dominantly white and female teaching force became the heads of all of our integrated schooling systems in the United States. And so Black parents who are the most brilliant and attentive to our children's needs always saw what was happening. And because this transition coincided with the civil rights movement, Black parents got together with educators and principals and set up freedom schools that would continue to be places that centered the emotional, spiritual, and educational needs of Black children. And in the context of the civil rights movement, freedom schools prepared Black children to be leaders really instilled in Black children that if you are breathing, you owe what your ancestors made for you. And so the concept of leadership embedded into freedom schools is really a spiritual foundation and obligation that we pass on to our children that you owe back. And you owe back because you're alive. Your very existence has to honor those that came before you. Freedom schools like the Toronto Freedom School and the Chicago Freedom School that my children were enrolled in in June have become spaces that not only give a nod to this history, but also are very much in step and in rhythm with the kind of violences that Black children and youth continue to face in our public school systems and our private school systems. I mean, there's just an endless volume of information, scholarly research, reports that remind us and keep clarifying that public schools, private schools, our education system is a site of violence for many, many, many Black children. And so the new generation of freedom schools that have arisen have just undertaken the challenges of these realities and created spaces where not only the same traditions are upheld, But these spaces, and this is close to my heart as a queer Black woman, have also been spaces that embrace Afrocentric principles without the lineage of patriarchy and homophobia that unfortunately has been interwoven in certain threads of Afrocentricity in the past. Our freedom schools are places where we acknowledge the wholeness of our people, where we say all of us are none of us. They're spaces that allow us to embrace the fullness of who our children are
0: and are becoming. How did this summer's African Nova Scotian Freedom School come about?
1: I got a call from Rachel Zellers earlier this year about possibly setting up a freedom school. And I feel
2: infinite amounts of gratitude towards Wendy for just taking that call and listening to me. We literally connected out of the blue. She didn't know me from Jack. That first conversation was such an important
1: one. Some of the reasons why we started the African Nova Scotian Freedom School are really in line with some of the conversations that would have been happening 70, 80 years ago. We had a segregated school system here in Nova Scotia up until the 50s, with over 50 communities spread from Cape Breton to Yarmouth. Many of the schools in these small communities were not necessarily substandard in terms of teachers, but many of the communities would have had to fundraise the money to build a space where school could take place and then find educators to staff these positions in the schools. Many of them wouldn't have been like certified teachers because at the time the teachers college did not admit black folks. But during this time of segregation, it was a good quality of education compared to the resources that were at hand. When I say that, what I mean is that the teachers that were teaching in these schools were from the community. They were African Nova Scotian teachers for the most part, other people of African descent that worked in these schools. So for us, our teachers were invested and no one was ever complaining about the quality of education. What they wanted is they wanted opportunities. They wanted choice. In Nova Scotia, I hear older folks, people in their 60s, that were part of the segregated school system, talk so fondly about their experience in the education system. When schools were desegregated, community schools were dispersed, and we kind of firmed our children out to people who didn't have a vested interest, strangers. And if we could have only combined the two, the people in the community that looked like the children, that had a vested interest in the children, but if we could have also acquired the resources and the buildings and the books, if we could have put those two things together, then we could assure our students success. Right now, as a public school student, you're unlikely to even have one Black teacher. And what we do know about having educators that look like you is that if you have a Black teacher that looks like you by the fifth grade, you are more likely to graduate from high school.
2: This point that Wendy is raising, for me, it's at the center of my heart and my thinking whenever I think of my parenting, my children. And it certainly was the driving force behind the African Nova Scotian Freedom School. I think it's important to share something that I learned that there is a much larger project. The group of educators in this community who for years and years have been the grounding force of ALI, the Afrocentric Learning Institute, and whose visionary commitment is to create a school for our children, a program that is not unlike the schools that have been invested in for folks who identify as Acadian or Mi'kmaq peoples in this province, but a space that also acknowledges our long line of hundreds of years of history that also uniquely situate our people and our children in this place. I just feel like it's important to acknowledge the people in our community that have been working for literally decades, whose visionary commitment is to give birth to that school and that program that Wendy has also been a part of. The Freedom School is like, you know, a drop in the bucket in relationship to this project that has to grow and has to become real in this community. And so the Freedom School really started on that initial call Wendy called a meeting of educators that she's known and organizes with. When we came together, what I realized was how much I would learn and how grateful I felt that our children would be able to be in front of these very committed, experienced, and loving, frankly, educators for a month over the summer. One of the things that I remember is how quickly, because of the intimacy and kinship that everyone had, folks were able to say, oh, here's what I'd like to teach. Oh, actually, you know, I'm really good at this. I already have something I've been working on curriculum wise related to this subject. And there was this almost organic process of educators tag teaming that for me also feels very important because. If I could think of like the non-substantive stuff I wanted children to get, I wanted them to witness our black bodies in front of them all for that month of August. But I also wanted them to have as much insight into the ways that we work collectively, that we work together, that we supported each other, that we planned together, that we struggled together, that we didn't give up on one another, making decisions together, holding and sharing power together.
1: And I have to say selfishly that having the opportunity to talk about our experiences as educators with the other instructors is something that I jumped right on because our experience as African Nova Scotian educators in the public school system is the same experience that our students are having. So imagine Mm -hmm. being the only Black staff member in the school and not having the opportunity to be able to collaborate with, you know, people that share a culture and a history. So when we met to talk about what the curriculum would look like, Rachel had already done an outline of the four weeks. But then Rachel very graciously took a back seat and allowed us, as African Nova Scotians to unapologetically focus specifically on Mm -hmm. African Nova Scotian culture. Like Mm -hmm. we didn't have to keep saying, oh, we mean, you know, all black people or we're not. We were aiming the curriculum at the African Nova Scotian experience, the history and the culture. And that doesn't normally happen without, you know, saying, oh, well, we got to include other groups as well. So these students were hearing about the culture that has taken a back seat for so long Mm -hmm. and hence the reason why parents were asking, like, how can we get involved in this? We've already missed an opportunity in the public school system, but are we able to make it up somehow? Is there something that you can do for us so that we can be grounded in our culture as well? So the first week was around policing and defunding the police and kind of an overview of that. And then the second week I did with Malik Adams and Kim Kane. and we did the week of who are we? So culture and history. And then the third week, the topic was leadership. And then the fourth week was where do we go from here? Activism. Like how do we put these themes
0: into action? What kinds of things were discussed in the leadership and activism weeks of the Freedom School?
1: One of the things that they did is they talked about the components, like what is leadership? What does it mean to be a leader? And then they gave examples of notable, and I don't want to say unnotable, but people that you wouldn't normally consider leadership. So they took a look at what leadership can look like in different capacities. And the skills and the characteristics that they then needed to become leaders as well. And then throughout the entire Freedom School, it was very important to me to talk to these students about them doing the documentation. If we're trying to, quote unquote, legitimize our culture, what could they do in order to help that cause? And I'll
2: answer this question threefold. I believe that there's no greater power that an educator offers than representation for Black children and Black youth. And not just any representation, but good representation. So showing up, being that body and leading with a particular kind of care and excellence. So the leadership that happened in the Freedom School happened via these kids being in relationship with nine community members and adults who had a full-time nine to five but also have as part of our life community work that we undertake that is an embodiment of leadership you can't just stop at your nine to five as someone who lives in community you also have to give in these particular ways and so that for me was one of the ways that leadership was expressed i watched the children become leaders to one another I watched students who were a bit shy initially learn to take up space and find their voice. And it is powerful beyond measure for young Black kids to sit with their peers and hear them speak and be affirmed. And then thirdly, what I wanted was for our current moment and the ideas that are hyper circulating through it, defunding the police, calls for abolition, I wanted our young people to be stopped in their tracks and start a conversation internally and then hopefully in ways that would ripple out in their families, communities and in their friendships about these very complicated and controversial notions of what prison abolition looks like, what it is, what are the fear spots that exist within us. And what is defunding the police? Is it really such a radical idea? Or is it simply a point on that timeline that leads us to abolition well into the future? So there was a kind of leadership that I envisioned in, you know, planting these seeds of ideas that I knew would ripple out.
0: What kind of feedback have you heard from the young people who participated in the Freedom School?
2: My son is in school with one of the teenagers who is in the freedom school and his mother called me one morning. She had moved her son from a school where he was encountering a lot of peer violence, violence and apathy, apathy from the principal and from his educators who refused to intervene in the kind of racial violence he was facing in his school. And she called me to say, I can't tell you how much confidence and grounding that month gave my son. She said, having him sit in front of the computer and then listening, you know, as a mom who was sort of scurrying around the house, watching his confidence grow over that month confirmed to me exactly what he needed and that we had made the right decision in removing him from this school system where his principal over years responded to our concerns of racial violence with apathy. My son was heard and seen every time that he was before all of you on Tuesday and Thursday. So I can't thank you enough.
1: One of the overriding themes that I heard students saying was they're just like me. And I think I know what student you're talking about, Rachel. And his mother, one of the things that she had mentioned to me is that her son finally felt like he found these people.
0: Hmm.
1: Those were his words. Mom, I found my people. A place without apology where he could be himself, learn about himself. And most importantly, it's a place where these students felt comfortable. They didn't have to explain what they meant or be afraid that someone was going to make fun of them or wouldn't know what they were talking about. We as African Nova Scotians get each other.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Rachel Zellers and Wendy Wilson about the African Nova Scotian Freedom School. To learn more about it, go to freedomschoolns.wixsite.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.